What is up, you guys? Welcome to the Life Like a Movie podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. Today's guest is Dominique, and I'm really, really a huge fan of her. I I mean, we met for the first time over this phone call for this podcast, and she is so light and, and free and... She has such a great energy about her, and uh, we connected right away. It was a very productive and positive discussion, and she has an interesting insight as a as a trainee for psychology or for clinical psychology, I believe, in her practice. And she's also a Christian, so that brings in a little bit of religion to science, and, and I'm a huge fan of bringing the East and the West together. So I think you guys will really enjoy this too as we dive deep into anxiety as well, because this is something that she's been dealing with herself, and she knows Uh, quite a few little tips and tricks that she shares today with how to overcome anxiety or to at least deal with it. Really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I'm I'm so I'm so curious. This isn't even like part of the interview. I'm just curious. Um, What's your morning routine like? Oh my gosh. Well, I I do have a morning routine (laughs) around usually like 6am. Sometimes I try to push into 5am, but that's hard for me. And I to start by doing yoga I do like 30 minutes of yoga um like about five minutes of meditation and then I do some uh like I'm Christian so I do some like scripture reading and journaling love that that. oh and I I chug and my friends also make fun of this I try to chug water yeah 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 Yeah, of course how about you do you have a routine uh, yeah, I've tested so many routines, I feel, over the years uh, to try and find what works. But right now, and I think this is more of a phase, but I wake up and I meditate for an hour. So mm-hmm. I just, like, sit down in, in complete silence. And then I – honestly, I change it every morning, I feel. But I usually do some sort of reflection slash reading. I usually do both. I, you know Eckhart Tolle? Yes. Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, of course, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been diving into his work. He, he's like my um, he's like my scripture, I would say, in the morning. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I like go through like one one or two of his pages and read it, read the same page maybe for like three days in a row each morning and just really like think about it, meditate yeah. on it. There's oh. so much to digest there, so I feel like the revolution oh, totally. has worked out. My in-laws <laughs> are actually super into Eckhart Tolle, and they're the ones who introduced me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. So, um, I guess we may as well just start the interview now, but because uh, I have an, I have a question about what you just said. Um, so, how do you like bridge the gap, or like, what do you what do you see as far as like uh, your religious practice with the scripture, and then also more Eckhart, who's not religious per se, but very very spiritual. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, like spiritual practices are very important because I believe that we have kind of three elements to us, like our minds, the things that we thoughts, our physical bodies um, that can include like our actual brain, but also everything that has to do with our body and our spirit. And I think something that gets neglected a lot, um, people focus a lot on the body. You know, we have lots of like body health coaches, a lot on the mind, but people often miss out on the spirit. And I think spirituality can look like a lot of different things It can look like a traditional religious practice, um, or it can look like just anything that's kind of getting in tune with like a higher purpose, a higher calling. Um, I think even and sometimes things with nature can be very spiritual mm, for people. Um, but it's just taking that time to kind of reflect on something that's greater than our physical being and the things that we can get so caught up in in this physical world. And 
I think for me, Christianity kind of centers me in thinking about um, God and more spiritual elements that are going on. Um, and I think the same thing with like, to my understanding of a lot of Eckhart Tolle's works is like this idea of just being present in the moment and letting almost like our physical ego part slip away. And to me, that is like the essence of being spiritual. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. I love that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Because I think when a lot, a lot of people think of religious sex and and just people talking about it, and I've, I've honestly had these experiences too where some people are just so hardcore religious that they almost shame other people for not being religious. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you're very open and understanding. Um, I think that's really just super cool because I think sometimes religion gets a bad rep, especially amongst younger people. And I think spirituality is really, really awesome. You know? Yeah, it's like um, that phrase, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I feel like a lot of people have had bad experiences or even traumatic experiences with religion. And I want to validate that because there are some very abusive things that can happen within religion or with any structure where there's some sort of power dynamic. Um, and unfortunately, throwing away all elements of spirituality simply because of that. Again, totally understandable, but it's just kind of a shame to see because I believe that that spiritual part of us exists no matter what, and we can either nurture it or we can neglect it. So, totally. yeah, I love that, and it's just like life just is better. I think with it, like at least like from my personal experience, because I actually grew up as an, a complete atheist. Like my whole household was hardcore, like not hardcore atheist. I'm making it sound worse than it was, but like they were atheists. Um, and so for me, like that was we never went to church. I never had any spiritual material to read growing up it was only through like my own sort of self-exploration in the last year really that i um really opened up my spirituality and it actually led me to live with monks for a little bit and then that just changed everything that's when i really got spiritual. kind of monks not to flip the interview but i'm so spiritual. yeah that's fine no i love it i love it <laughs> uh they were vaishnavas so they believed in lord krishna they were hindus okay Yes, yes. I'm not sure. Have you heard of that religion? No, I've, I've heard of the Hindu religion, but I'm not like super well versed in it. As like a therapist in training, I'm always trying to gain more understanding of like different religions. So because I believe incorporating spirituality is important and I would like to be able to do that for anyone of any belief. Um, but you kind of went from zero to 100 then with like it no religion to I'm living. This yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's very true. I, I, but I'm all about that. I'm like very binary. You know, I'm very all or nothing. And so for me, I love full immersive experiences. So for me with the monks, because that's how I know if I'm just like reading a book about spirituality, it's like, hey, like this makes some sense. But if I'm living with monks with no distractions, then like I really get to taste what it's like and experience it. And then I can make a decision. Is this something I like or don't like? Yeah. Um, yeah. That is so cool. I'm I'm similar in that. Whenever I sense that energy from you, is like I love a I love like a thirty day challenge or like one hundred some anything that's something and then challenge yeah. after it. I'm like I'm in. Sign me. Up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, he's doing this challenge. That's cool. I'd love to be a part of that. That's awesome. Your your relationship with it seems so much more healthy than mine. I feel like mine's like some weird like dark like competitive nature. You know, like, I feel like I'm, like, the type that, like, I'll play, like, any sort of game. And, like, I feel, I just feel this need to, like, to win, to yeah. compete. It's super weird. But, um, yeah, it's good for, like, playing sports when you're in high school. But not so good when you're, like, at your, like, girlfriend's nephew's, like, beach party. And you want to play beach volleyball. And <laughs> you're, like, let's fucking go. You know? Let's be chill. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. The competitivity. Well, because I think ego can be 
put under that too, right? It's like, well, what does this mean about me if I win? What does this mean about me if I lose? And then we start telling ourselves all these stories and make something like so much more high stakes than a game when it's like my value rests in if I'm able to wake up every morning at 5.30 a.m. And I can tend to that side too. So it's always me kind of curving. And again, I think spirituality helps with that because I can say my value is not in this um, this thing I'm doing or me completing this challenge. My value exists in this entity that's kind of outside of myself um, or something that's greater than just, again, me, my physical body, my thoughts, and my little brief timeline here on Earth. <laughs> yes. So would you say that your self-esteem um, is largely built from spirituality from that higher that higher being that nate uh, or um beingness let's say the isness with life is that where a lot of your self-esteem comes from that's such a good and deep question it's like now i'm thinking where does my self-esteem come from i think self-esteem can come from so many different things i would say i for the most part try to find and center myself in um my spiritual beliefs about for me again as a christian um, like who, who I am to God, which to my understanding is, you know, someone that is loved, someone that is cared yeah. for, someone that is precious. So even when I'm having a really bad day or I feel like I don't belong or no one loves me, oh, or, you know, I, beliefs, I can ground myself in that. Um, but I think it also comes from a lot of other places. Um, I was just talking a lot on my Instagram about confidence. And I think too, sometimes like we build self-esteem by proving things to ourselves. Right, right. Maybe, again, this is my competitive side talking, but I think self-esteem is something we develop every day as well in just kind of like pushing ourselves and being able to keep the, make, keep the promises that we make to ourselves. I love that so much. I, that's so, that's the most important thing, I think. Like, I, I want to I just say it again just so everyone hears it a second time. Um, when we keep promises to ourselves, it builds trust. And it builds confidence with ourselves. Like, oh, I can do that. Like, I was just talking to a, a girl, Allie Baisley, who was, I, I, I can't remember what, how much she was overweight, but she was rather overweight. And then she lost like 100 pounds or something. And guess how it all started? It started by her just committing. This is all she did. She said, I'm going to commit to drinking one glass of water in the morning for 30 days. Just like, and she said it was, it was like almost laughably small. Mm-hmm. But she started to build that trust because what we start to see is that our minds don't really care if it's a glass of water or uh, a five hour workout. Like it's just, it's like I said, I'm going to do this and I did it. And so for her, she, she said she attributes all her success to that one glass of water for 30 days. I was like, I love that. And I think so many habits can be built that way. Um, I've heard too, like if you want to start flossing, like tell you just floss one tooth. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. If you can get yourself to do that, then you might be like, hey, maybe I'll floss another, you know, or you're getting, if you're deciding, you know, instead of going on a mile run, I'm just going to, you know, walk for a minute. And I think those those small things build our confidence and trust in ourselves. And for me, I think so much about self-esteem and self-confidence I've learned is really rooted in how much do you trust yourself to, to follow through to do what you need to do in a situation without having all the information beforehand. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought this topic up. And, and just so everybody knows, like, I'm not talking about this, like, up on a high horse. Like, I still, like, struggle with my own self-confidence. Oh, yeah. And, like, I have absolutely been one to, like, overdo it at the start and then completely fail because I didn't just start small. 
So I really want to, like, I've been through it so many times that, like, please just trust me when I say, like, starting small actually works. Even though it just seems long and the results aren't right there, um, it actually works, people. Like, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I'm the same way. And, like, being someone who puts themselves out there on social media and stuff, it can be a rocky relationship with with saying like, hey, I know some things about this, but also I'm on that journey too. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really always important to keep that keep that in check. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I want to, yeah, it's easy to get, yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, so I actually want to start, since we're kind of in this, more of this topic, I, before we went on, or before I called you, I looked on your Instagram and I saw one of your recent posts and I, had, I made a completely new question because like, yes, I love this. Um, and it's, it's a phrase I'm borrowing from uh, Tim Ferriss that I heard the other day, which is the idea of macro love, micro work. And it was basically how to love yourself, but not be complacent in the micro. Mm-hmm. So like, and, and the, the post I saw of yours was, um, it was something along the lines, it was your second last post that you posted. Let me actually just pull it up so I can. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It's about balancing acceptance and change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Balancing acceptance. Could you explain the post from your perspective? Yeah, okay. So, um, you know. Everything, nothing's original. So this, this idea is a big idea in dialectical behavior therapy, which is one of the types of therapy that I love. And it's a lot of it's based on this core dialectic. A dialectic is like two opposing things that are true at the same time. And the dialectic is acceptance and change. And the idea is that we can accept ourselves fully as we are right now, and we can want or know that some things about ourselves need to change. And for people that are very black and white thinking, like I know you said you sometimes fall into that, these dialectics are really challenging, right? Because it's like, no, I need to either totally change myself or accept myself. Or once I have changed, I will accept myself. But this idea is that we really will not make lasting change in our lives if we don't accept who we are just right now in the moment. Oh. I can kind of elaborate on that, but I kind of want to pause to just hear like what your reaction is to that or yeah. what brings up for you. Yeah. Well, so for me, I was like, oh, like you just hit me right away. Like I, I looked at like multiple, multiple posts of yours and that one really got to me the most. I think because it hits true for me because I'm only just starting to learn about getting away from the black and white, the binary. And although it there is its short, there, there are other benefits to the black and white thinking, there are also shortcomings. And so for me, and actually when I was really going through um, a tough time a few weeks ago, because I've always had it not the best relationship with food and actually in high school, so this would be like four years ago now, I had my greatest source of suffering was from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've been very black and white thinking with food. It's like, I'm either like on like this, like super like strict diet or like, I'm just going to eat like five scoops of ice cream kind yeah, of thing, yeah. you know? And so, um, so for me, when I heard Tim Ferriss, I was kind of going through a, a rough point where I was really reconsidering like what's going on. I was very confused and very emotional. And then I heard Tim Ferriss say macro love. So like you always have that, that shelter of love and it's a nurturing environment, but you just, you make a little bit of progress. Even if you don't, even if you aren't perfect in the day, in like in that day, you can still have that love and that nurturing. And it's a very long-term macro love. And then the micro is like, it makes the micro a lot easier when you have that macro love basically. And for me, something just to finish up, um, something I've really enjoyed and I've found needed deep down. I mean this, I found it from my childhood trauma yesterday, if you can believe it, but I actually 
need that positive reinforcement and that love because I got it so much as a kid. And now that I'm out of my, my house, I need to find ways to give it to myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no um, problem. I think you touched on a lot there. Um, and I think starting to unpack some of that child stuff can be really helpful in understanding, you know, why we maybe are having difficulties accepting ourselves. Cause I think a lot of that can be rooted in, um, some past trauma, some inner child stuff, um, and learning how to be able to self-validate is so important. And when I talk about validate, I'm talking a lot about validating our emotions. So, you know, people are always really into this idea of controlling their emotions. I don't think that controlling emotions is necessarily helpful because I think we're meant to feel emotions. Um, I think that validating emotions is really important, which means acknowledging and being in touch with what we're feeling and then telling ourselves, hey, it makes sense that you're feeling this because X, Y, and Z. Um, And when we're able to validate that, I think it helps us to tolerate it a little bit more. That doesn't mean we're acting based on that emotion, right? I'm not saying, hey, I'm really angry, so I'm going to go punch through a wall. But yeah, I'm, yeah. hey, it makes sense that I'm angry right now because a boundary was violated. Or it makes sense that I'm anxious right now because the situation is stressful. And I think that's a big thing that people need to accept is accepting their emotions, amongst other things. Yes. Yeah, I love that you said that. So kind of like a non-attachment. Yes. Yeah, not exactly. detachment, which I learned the other day, but non-attachment, correct? Exactly, exactly. Which I think comes again. I know you like Eckhart Tolle, but like in the power of the now. Yeah. Able to something I'm always talking about with my clients is like getting space between yourself and things. Being so instead of consumed by a feeling, you're kind of observing the feeling, the sensations, what that's bringing up, and then just kind of letting it be. Um, sometimes when those emotions flare up really intensely, there are some things we need to put in place to be able to tolerate that, um, which is definitely important, but that doesn't mean I'm pushing the emotion away. It means I'm helping myself move through emotional experience. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I love that. Actually, We, we might need to put things in place to tolerate the emotion because it's very easy to say, well, just watch the emotion, Brett, just, just be, just don't get attached to it. Just observe it. It's very easy in theory, but when it's a- it actually happens, it's easy to let it consume you and to forget that, oh, wait, I am this higher being. And so um, I think I'm, I'm very glad that you said that we need to have like little tools or reminders or some sort of system maybe in place that we can understand those emotions because pushing it away or resisting it never works. One of my favorite Eckhart quotes is what we resist persists. And it, it just comes back even stronger. And I've been, through, been down that rabbit hole uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very like, I do think that pain is a real part of life happens for everyone, physical pain, emotional pain. It's a part of being a human, but suffering, which is the resistance of pain is something that we can kind of mitigate, right? Our own suffering. We're going to experience pain, but do we have to truly suffer? Right. I would, I would argue that we can do things to kind of limit our suffering. Yeah, totally. Well, pain and suffering are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Again, easier easier said than done. <laughs> totally. totally. And I love that we're talking about these like high level things. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, I'm right now I'm in grad school. I'm studying counseling psychology. I work in a clinic uh, as a counseling intern. And 
you know, it is like I see every day in my own life and in the lives of the people that I work with, like these things, you can say them. And it's like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. But when you're in distress right now, you need some more tangible tools. So I like, you know, I think balancing those is really important. Well, I, I love that. Then that, that brings up a, a question I'd like, I was going to ask you is how, how can we stop or maybe not stop, but um, soften the anxiety that's coming on? And is there like any like techniques in the moment that we can do, like say stomach breathing instead of chest breathing or, yeah. you know, that's a great one. Um, okay. So yeah, like we kind of already talked about, I think that sometimes when we try to stop our anxiety as it's coming on, we actually intensify it because we're like, no, no, no. And yeah, while yeah. resisting it, it can make us feel more anxious. Um, as someone myself, I, you know, have really struggled with anxiety throughout my life. And people who struggle with anxiety will get this. Like, I have anxiety about my anxiety. Totally. And then <laughs> you're like, and you're like, this is so silly. And then you have anxiety about anxiety about anxiety. And it, yeah, yeah, it's like, well, I'm really worried. What are you worried about? That I'm going to be anxious. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think learning to, you know, accept that anxiety is a normal part of the experience of life. In fact, it actually is something that's really protective. Um, yeah. It yeah. is our brain's way of keeping us safe. You know, I used to say that there is no one in the world who doesn't struggle with anxiety. However, I did recently listen to a podcast. There is one woman who the part of her brain that initiates fear is not there and scientists have really like studied this and she does not feel fear or anxiety and her life is really difficult because she has oh, no really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I think it, I forget what podcast. It was on some NPR podcast. But anyways, what I want people to hear from this is that your anxiety is actually something you can thank your brain for because it helps keep you safe. It's a necessary part of life. But when we are feeling anxiety in in situations that aren't life or death situations, that's when it starts to become troublesome, right? Because maybe you're just laying in bed at night and you're getting all jacked up, or maybe you're about to take a test and you're having a panic attack. Um, and this is when our body goes into that like fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system activation is what we would call it from like a biopsychology standpoint. And the thing, there's five, four tools that I really love for this. Um, it's an easy acronym to remember. It's also from that dialectical behavior therapy and it's TIPP, T-I-P-P. And these are four things that can help with any intense emotion, um, but I find them to be helpful for anxiety. So the first is to change the temperature. Um, a lot of times too, like if you've ever felt anxious or mad, you'll notice your body's either getting like really hot or sometimes if you're sad, you can feel really cold. Um, so when we're feeling anxious, we can change the temperature by splashing cold water on our face. Mm. I'll sometimes um, tell clients to like submerge their hands in cold, icy water. Um, but just uh, changing the temperature of your body is going to cue your body that it needs to kind of calm down. It's a really easy one. Um, the, the most intense way to do this is actually a strategy where you like will fill a bowl with water put some ice in the water and submerge your face in the water and hold your breath. Have you ever heard of this before? So I have, yes. yeah. And I know you're into like the Wim Hof. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. This is kind of uh, adjacent to that. But whenever you do that, it creates something that's called the dive effect where um, your body oh. thinks it's diving into water. So basically it starts to slow your heart rate. So that can be really effective if you're like starting to panic. 
um, to do this exercise. And what I would recommend as you're kind of holding your breath underwater that you don't hold it so much that you feel like you're panicking, but you just kind of hold it enough that you're like, okay, I'm holding my breath and I'm in the water. I love that. But again, we don't always have access to that or, you know, I work with people who have social anxiety. So at a party, you can't really just set this up. So I say, go <laughs> some water on your face. Or if you're a girl wearing makeup, you don't want to do that. You can just like put your hands in cold water. There's an idea. Just say, hey, guys, I thought of a new drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone dunks your head in a cold but bucket. Get everyone in on it. Bobbing for apples, you know, that could be a good opportunity. <laughs> um, so the I in that tip is intense exercise. This is a little more basic, but when we have this, like, again, fight or flight response, um, the natural thing is to kind of think if you were in the wild being chased, right? To run. That's how that energy gets discharged. In our basic human lives though, when we're taking a test, like there is no discharge of that energy. So doing some intense exercise, whether that's jumping jacks, burpees, run, running up and down the stairs can really help. Um, there's progressive muscle relaxation, which is one of the next P. Um, this is a technique where you kind of go up and down your body, tensing for five seconds and then relaxing your muscles. There's great, like if you just go on Google or YouTube and search progressive muscle relaxation, there's videos that will guide you through it. Yeah. Um, and then there's also paced breathing, which you mentioned, taking deep breaths um, at a regular rhythm. Because, you know, if you're listening to this and you're familiar with having panic attacks, what happens? We start to hyperventilate. So any way we can slow our breathing, um, two techniques that I like the most, uh, one is called box breath. So you inhale for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts, hold for four counts, and just repeat that. Um, the one that I actually love the most, though, is four, seven, eight breathing, and that's inhaling for four seconds, holding for seven seconds, and then exhaling for eight seconds. The science behind that is the exhaling part of breathing is actually what calms us down. So anytime you can extend, mm -hmm. exhale, the better. Yeah. Okay, I love that. And the, and the fourth P or the, the second the, P? Yeah, so that's T, temperature, I, intense exercise, P, progressive muscle relaxation, and then the last P is paced breathing. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Something else that's helpful um, that's not included in that acronym that I also think is a good tool is grounding exercises, um, oh, especially cool. if you're oh. someone that struggles with like flashbacks or like PTSD. Um, so one of my favorites is the five, four, three, two, one grounding. It's noticing five things that you can see. Now I'm going to blank on it. Four things that you can hear or four things that you can touch, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. Um, and if you oh. don't taste anything, like you can eat a piece of chocolate or like a gum or a mint, and that helps bring you back to the present moment. It's kind of like a mindfulness technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, that's so great. That's actually one that really works well for me. I know I realize that I'm a, an audio learner and uh, everything's very audio for me, I realize. So for me, I think I just start to listen and just not judge any sound. Like I could be in a construction yard and it actually seems to calm me down. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would say I love this one. So I will personally recommend that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is, and some people are more visual, so noticing what they see. Like, I love that you're building on your strength and making it work for you, or tactile, you know, like if you're touching soothing objects like soft fabrics, 
um, things that are soft, petting a dog, like petting an animal can be really calming in that way. But getting in touch sense always brings us to the now. Going back to our senses brings us to the now. That's very, I love that. That's awesome. You you just gave everyone like many different resources, like depending on their situation. That's awesome. Yeah. And to avoid overwhelm, because I know if I'm someone who hears a lot of resources, I'm like, I need to try all of these today. Oh. I would recommend if you're listening to this, just pick one that you're going to try a couple times this week and see how it works for you. And then if that's not very effective, try another one because with coping skills, not everything's going to work for everyone. So you just need to find what works for you. Oh, so glad you mentioned that again. Like going back to like just starting small with habits, like yeah. you don't got like do the whole like I don't know what it, what it's called, but you don't have to do all these. Just like pick one, like the easiest one, even you know, like <laughs> the next, uh, like do the next best small thing that you can do. I oh. think someone said that on one of your podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> I heard that like just yesterday or two days ago. So yeah, please explain that. Yeah, so basically just the idea of like, you know, we're all at different capabilities and every day our capabilities change. My best today might look very different from my best tomorrow. So I need to know myself, respect myself, um, and know that today, if it's going to be great for me to say run a mile, tomorrow it might just be a great achievement for me to go on a walk around the block. And both of those are great and valid because I'm listening to myself and that's like, that's core. I love that so much. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, okay. We went through that. Oh, you, you've answered some of my next questions in my last question. That's awesome. Uh, let's see here. So, okay. I'm going to change the, the topic of conversation a little bit, although this still does, you know, peek into anxiety a little bit too. It's, um, the question of what do we do with our lives? You know, it's like because a lot of the the young people listening to this podcast um, have been through this. I've been through this. I've lied to myself saying this is what I'm going to not lie to myself, but I actually believed it in the moment. Like this is what I should do. And then I felt good for a couple weeks, maybe. And then I like felt that anxious feeling of like, oh, my God, like, is this what I should be doing? And then the words should and ought start getting used. And yeah, you don't and, like those words. Yeah, I know. You actually, you're 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 Christian. You you actually might enjoy this. It's a little story from Alan Watt. I'm not gonna say it verbatim. I always mess it up. But okay. basically, the whole story is that um, uh, God and Jesus were uh, driving in a in a taxi, sitting in the back, and they were writing the next testament. And they got out, but they left it in the back of the in the, of the taxi. And Satan walked in, and he wrote two words on the on the New Testament: ought and should. Yes. Well, should is what we call like a cognitive error in cognitive behavioral therapy. I actually hate the phrase cognitive error. I like to call it an unhelpful thought. Because (laughs) when I was thinking, oh my gosh, I should do this or I ought to do this really helped anyone. I mean, I'm sure someone's going to respond and say, this is when it was so helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. But in general, you know, should just makes this assumption that everyone's starting at the exact same level and that there are milestones that we have to hit when we know for a fact that everyone is different. Everyone is unique. Um, Everyone has different gifts. Everyone has different areas to work on. And I want to call in like there are systems of oppression in society that put people unfairly at very different starting points. So when we have these shoulds come into our mind of what we should be doing, it just gets us down, you know? It's comparing us to this unreal standard. Yeah, no kidding. That's my box. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's so true. Like, like, 
uh, yeah, and then this is actually something that, that helped all my anxiety float away, and I have Alan Watts to thank for that. Have you studied Alan Watts at all? No, I'm not. You might, you might, you might like him. He's a very yeah. spiritual guy. Anyways, um, uh, he helped me realize that I, I can't make a mistake. And once I realized that I can't make a mistake, then all the anxiety floated away. Cause like, and then it, it kind of goes into the attitude of, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like for me, when I left home a year ago and just like went to some random place, like doing some random job with people I'd never met uh, completely by myself. Like for me, I was like, well, let's think about this. Like what's actually the worst that can happen? Like say I get back in a year, well, I'm in the exact same position I am now, but I have all that experience. Mm-hmm. So it just really helped me and to drop out of university. It was the same thing. Like I could always go back like mm-hmm. it's, you know, so I think that um, like, to get rid of anxiety, honestly, for me, like I am hardly ever anxious anymore. Like when you said like no one in the world's anxious, like something popped up, I'm like, wait a second. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm probably still anxious sometimes. But um it, right? Like if I'm walking across the street and a car is going to hit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that anxiety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me across. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, for me, like realizing that like, that, like not to take life too seriously, basically, because, you know, like we put so much pressure on ourselves. We're our worst critics. We all know that. But we just we never really realize it in the moment when we are being our harshest critics. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So what's what's something that could maybe help some of us? Basically, just not worry about comparison, not worry about the shoulds, and just allow us to just follow our heart, even if that's not right in line with any of these shoulds that society may put on us. Yeah, okay. So much good stuff there. I, I, I can just tell that you're, like, such a lifelong learner, and I love that about you. <laughs> um, okay, so I think something that's really important, especially, and I actually work with college students, um, so, like, everyone who's kind of in this life life zone, so I think about this a lot. But being really open to accepting the uncertainty of life, and especially at these early stages in life where you're just exploring and figuring out what you want to do, um, I think that just accepting that it's okay that you don't know, and it's okay to be uncertain. And I think moving kind of on the spectrum of I, I should know to it's okay not to know to then a place where it sounds like you are, Brett, that's almost like it's exciting to not know. Yeah. Right. But you don't have to go straight from scary to exciting. We can hit the middle road step of just, it's okay. Yeah. You know, I think even, you know, a mantra and affirmation of like, it's safe to not know what's next or, you know, it's okay to be uncertain would be really important at that stage. Um, And I think in general, finding that value in who you are and not what you're doing, kind of touching back on an earlier part of our conversation is really important because when we put our value on the things that we do, on our job, on our productivity, things that are certainly nice to have, um, but that's a really shaky ground to put our value on because as soon as that falls through, then well, who the heck am I if I'm not in college? Or who the heck am I if I don't have this job? We yeah. want to be putting our value in something that's more permanent, that's more lasting, um, that's in who we are, not the things that we do. I love it on on ex on internal, not external things, right? Exactly, and then you can carry that value and have all these other nice things in your life that are enjoyable. Um, but they, again, they don't define you, and they don't kind of restrict you. Because when those things are right, like they yes. restrict. 
Yes, that was actually something I wanted to bring up. I'm gonna need your help with this explanation I'm about to give. So okay. I'm assuming are you're familiar with the broaden and build theory in psychology? Yes. Okay. So uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they 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 brought it up. So basically, from my understanding, the broaden and build theory is when we're in an anxious state or some sort of negative emotion, our creativity, our um, ability, or our ability to solve problems, our solution-based thinking gets really shortened, correct? Mm-hmm. But when we but when we experience positive emotions, we can we can think more creatively and have m- even more solutions. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. So, uh, this goes into one of my favorite my favorite quote possibly of all time by Deepak Chopra, which is to live in the wisdom of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And for me, how that rings true is when we when we limit ourselves to this anxious thinking of I got to do this and then I got to do this and then I got to do this. This is like what I should do. This is what I should do next. This is what I should do after that. Then we limit ourselves to only one possibility and eliminate every other, like the infinite possibilities that could happen. And so, and they're often like, so like you think you're so good that you think you, you can pick the best life for you out of the infinite possibility. You think you're going to pick the best. Um, and so for me, I think that a great way to eliminate anxiety, because people love bringing in some science to this, is look at the broaden and build theory. It, you have you have a far lower grasp on the solutions for your life when you're thinking ang- anxiously and you know, you're know you just in one particular lane and you don't expand upon that. But when we can experience the positive emotions and let go, like breathe out, like it's all going to be okay, like life's not that crazy, dude, like just enjoy it then we can experience solution-based thinking and creativity. And then not only do we create more of a life that, that we can follow our heart with, but we can actually be happy doing it and not be anxious about the next step. Yeah. I, I mean, that is like, that is like goals. <laughs> no kidding, right? That, yeah. It's but I, I love what you said there about like, you know, we, we like to have our, it's almost like having blinders on. I saw you were doing this and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. intuitively to my plan, my ideas, I'm so anxious and I'm holding on to it so, so, so tightly. But what happens when you're holding on so tightly is if someone tries to give you something, you can't even take it because you're like, no, I'm holding on to my thing. Even if the thing they're going to give you is bigger and better. You're like, no, but I can't release my grip. So I think it's really important in life to kind of hold things lightly. Um, Mm, I don't know. That's very metaphorical, but I think you know what I'm saying. I'm going to quote you next. Hold things lightly. I love that. It's so simple. Yeah, and I think, you know, that applies to all things, to our plans, because, you know, in life, plans don't always work out to hold our thoughts lightly. Like we might have these anxious thoughts and instead of being like, I have to push them away. Just, can you just hold that a little more lightly? Hold our emotions more lightly. Look at them with non-judgmentalness, with softness and just hold things lightly. And I think that goes to what you're saying about not taking things so seriously. I mean, there are so many serious things in life and I totally want to validate like pain, trauma, death, those things are pretty serious and it's okay to take them seriously. But I think what we're both talking about here is things that people take so seriously that big picture aren't even going to matter in five days, five weeks, five months, five years. And it's like, whoa, how long did we spend just ruminating on that thing that even a week from now, it's not a blip on the radar. And that steals our joy. It really does. Oh my God. That was amazing. I love that so much. So, so much to hold things lightly. 
that that just really hit me in a, in a different way ever since you said that my whole like energy and demeanor just changed and i just like went into like a meditation since you said that i don't know why yeah did anything in particular come up for you like what did it make you think uh like almost like a nice reminder like oh yeah like like don't worry matt like because because even like as as you're talking as we're talking throughout my day still like i'll like find myself getting worried about the dumbest thing is like what what is that person thinking like trying to be a little bit controlling trying to you know and so when you said that it was like oh yeah like this is what like i think life should be about is just letting things flow like i feel like we're beings that that should be full of energy and just allow energy to flow through through us and um yeah that just really felt right yeah yeah i'm not sure i have to explain for me no i i love that i think to these like um in embodied metaphor so okay this is gonna go you can cut this part out maybe if it goes <laughs> but i think that's something that's so cool about us as people is that we have these embod we have embodied cognition which basically means like warmth coldness being light being heavy affects the way we think like i don't know if you've read those studies where it says people who are holding like a mug of a warm beverage and talking to someone feel more warm towards the person they're talking to whereas if they're not hold if they're holding like a cold beverage oh, but yeah. just that simple act of holding something that's warm can make you feel warm towards someone um but i think the thinking about holding things lightly has the same effect just thinking about what it would be like to be light almost unburdened like i saw your posture change you know but it's Thank like you. oh that's so cool it allowed our bodies have a very powerful way of taking these sensory things and and our minds and our bodies are connected in a way that that doing something physically can help us mentally oh i love that i know it's a little woo woo but i i try not to get too fluffy for the audience but like oh, i'm such a like i love the fluff sometimes too um me too that's why i'm like this is like a half-baked thing that i kind of think about sometimes so why not <laughs> <laughs> take myself too okay, well, I'll, I'll add something like literally way fluffier um well and this I this is I got from Alan Watts is to act like a cloud uh and this is actually a, a zen a zen saying is to, yeah. is to be like a cloud like have you ever seen a misshaping cloud no you've never seen a misshaping cloud they're they're perfect the way they are and um I think that's important to note as well that we like we are all these beings and we try to control and to and to make things perfect the way that our cognition or our minds make us think it should be, should be, but who knows why we think that. Mm -hmm. We don't just be, we don't act to our true nature and, and we start to create these blocks that, um, that stop us. And I think that's where that incoherence really starts. And that's where all our troubles begin is that incoherence. Mm -hmm. and so, so like just to, it, for me, that was, it, it hit home for me to just be like a cloud because, and like, that's like super fluffy, like even like clouds, you know, it's that's like literally the fluffy. <laughs> It's literally fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like a nice thing to think about. Like, just be like a cloud. Like, just float through the air. Have grace. Yeah. Visualizations like that are so helpful. Like, picturing yourself even if water is a comfortable place for you. Like, floating in water and just being very light, drifting yeah. along, being a cloud, floating through the sky. Yeah. I mean, these things do sound kind of woo-woo, but they people say them for a reason because it's very powerful when we're able to picture ourselves in these situations it changes how we feel in our bodies and it can change the way we're thinking about a situation 
even if you were just to say metaphorically, like, what would it be like to be like a cloud in this situation? You're going to be able to generate. I love that. You know? So then we start to like ask yourself a question that can open up our mind to different behaviors. Like, what, what would it be like if I did this? Oh, wow. Okay. I just thought of something that maybe we should share. So like when we're in like maybe like a super anxious state and to go to, to go to your point about the next best thing, like the next best action I can take. I think I find asking questions is a great way. Like, okay, so maybe I don't have the strength to, for my case in eating disorder. Maybe I don't have the strength to not like eat this ice cream right now as an example. Mm-hmm. But what would it be like if I did and I made what, like, what would, what would I have to do to, to not eat it? Or what would I have to do to have a healthy relationship with food? Or what would I have to do? Asking questions like that really open up our minds to a possibility that our narrow thinking, like we were talking about before, didn't even think about because it was so focused on the negative. It was so focused on what we're doing. But when we ask a question, it really starts to break down those barriers and open it up slowly and doing the next thing. What do you think about that? I agree. I think that curiosity. Okay, so now remember, I, there's this acronym called that's COAL, C-O-A-L. Psychology people love acronyms. <laughs> You're giving um, everyone so much today. That's but awesome. it's this idea um, that, well, when we practice mindfulness, right, we practice being in the moment with a non-judgmental attitude. And a non-judgmental attitude is curious, open, accepting, I think is the A, and loving. And I think what you're hitting on with the questions part is C, curious. You know, when we are asking questions and when we're getting curious with other people and with ourselves, we're showing non-judgmentalness. So I think, you know, asking questions like you're asking some long-term questions, which is good. But even in that moment asking, you know, what, what need is this fulfilling for me right now? Or like, what do I really need? Um, Or asking when anxiety comes up, you know, what is this trying to tell me? What is my need right now? You know, what does even metaphorical questions, what does this feeling look like? What would, what color is this feeling for me? And just getting more curious about our feelings is going to help us so much to be able to recognize them and to be able to start to, again, like accept them. Um, just like you would when you meet a person you like, right? You want to ask them a lot of questions. Like let's meet our feelings with the same curiosity and let's ask them questions so we can understand them as opposed to pushing them away or just becoming them. And saying, I am anxiety now. It's like, no, I'm, I'm observing. I'm interacting with anxiety. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. I love that. I, I never actually thought of a definition sort of of non-judgmental, curious, open, accepting, and loving. Yeah. I really, really enjoy that like, right now just to see. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and I, I want to elaborate a little bit on the point that you just said. I was... I interviewed um, a psychic two days ago, and she gave me a wonderful piece of advice about dealing with um, anxiety or any sort of negative emotion. She said, imagine like that, that egoic thought, let's just say, is like little Brett, like a three-year-old. So if if a three-year-old Brett comes running into the room and starts screaming and says, this sucks, are you going to say, go away, come back when you change your mind, like when when you're in a positive attitude? No, you're going to bring them here, you're going to pat their head, and you're going to try to understand, like, why are you feeling angry? You know, and so that was a great metaphor uh, for me because I actually could visualize what it would look like to have to have that loving and nurturing feeling because I've, I've honestly always struggled with that. And for me, it was like to put it into a visual really helped me open myself up to a loving and nurturing environment because as um, Emmy Brunner, Brunner um, a psychologist, 
I interviewed a, a week ago, she said that an eating disorder can't survive in a loving, nurturing environment. It just, it can't. And so, um, but it's just so tough to do that. So it's really nice to have a visual, like, is that how you would treat like a three-year-old kid is just say, go back and leave when you, when you're positive. No, you're going to try to understand. You're going to be curious and loving, you know? Yeah. I actually have, it's funny on my Instagram, I try once a week to post like a 60 second tip. And oh. one and a couple of weeks ago was to like treat your emotions like a crying baby, but the That's same okay. idea, like, would you pick it up and scream at it and be like, stop, like, what the F are you doing? Like, no. Yeah. And what would happen if you did that? The baby's just going to cry a lot louder. You know? <laughs> it's not, it's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> I'm glad that you found some peace in that. And, you know, if people are more interested in that idea, thinking about even inner child work is really important because there really is inside of us, you know, that part of ourselves that is our inner child. And a lot of times that's a part that's bringing forward some of these. I don't even like to call them negative emotions. I like to call them difficult emotions. Oh, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, or, or just regular emotions. But I think like, you know, some emotions are difficult for me to deal with and that's something I'm working on. Totally. But sometimes our inner child is the one that's bringing forward these difficult emotions as kind of like a cry for us to just notice them. I love, oh my goodness, that is, wow. You just connected something for me. Thank you. What is awesome. connected there for you? Um, uh, you that it, that it, no, 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 no. I couldn't remember for a second. I just, my mind went blank. It was, um, I remember now. It was a, a cry, for, like treating it as a cry for help. That at first, this is what I got from the psychic again. It wasn't, it's not that, it, or when, when the emotion, when that energy first comes out of us, it might look destructive. It might, but when it, when it knows that it now has a choice, of being constructive and it can actually come into into consciousness it, it it doesn't need to stay in the ego and when we actually when we let our emotions flow out of us that oftentimes it is just a cry for help and we just need to put more attention and more energy there instead of keeping it in our shadow side mm -hmm. yeah I think too that this, there's this idea and this is something I shared a post about that when we engage with our inner child um, we're able to kind of be that loving, caring parent. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of, again, hard for some people to conceptualize. It's one of those dialectics like we were talking about, but you are at the same time being this vulnerable child, right? This side of you that's having this difficult emotion and you're being a loving, compassionate parent. Mm -hmm. And it gives you this opportunity to care for yourself in a way that maybe you weren't cared for in the past or maybe you were, but now you aren't, but it kind of gives you this opportunity to connect with yourself and say, you know, if I, if I was the parent to this child that's bringing forward this emotion, how can I listen to their needs, meet them with compassion and really care for them? And to mm -hmm. me, that's like one of the things that is at the heart of self-care um, is kind of being that nurturing parent to your own inner child. Being that nurturing parent to your own inner child. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Because after all, we do have to learn how to, you know, give ourselves love and to be there for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these practices are worthwhile. That's awesome. Um, for, I, I wanted to thank you, by the way, because I'm not always so open about my past with my relationship with food because it's obviously a tough thing for me. Yeah. But you're, it's very easy to talk to you. And I just wanted to appreciate. Thank you. you know, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, it was so great to talk to you. Like, I think your openness is really awesome. And 
you know, I just want, if anyone's listening that is struggling with an eating disorder, like I would really recommend you reach out to get therapy. Eating disorders can be super challenging, but there are a lot of evidence-based ways for you to be able to work through your issues with food, work through your issues with eating um, with the help of a professional. So I know opening up can be really hard about that, but if you are able to do that and get help, you can really heal your relationship with food and your relationship with yourself, right? Which is kind of what is, it's that's, that's like the why, you know, the, the eating disorder is the how, the, the, the self, the childhood trauma, whatever it is, is the why, yeah. right? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. Trauma and diet culture. I mean, I, out here, mm -hmm. like, it's just amazing how much you cannot walk two steps down the street without seeing something that's promising weight loss, uh, different body, better body, plastic surgery. And I think Instagram can be, this is another soapbox. Instagram can be a very toxic place. For, and I say that because Brett and I met on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> such a toxic place for, you know, weight loss and body comparison and body shaming. And I just think that it's horrible and companies just really want to profit off of you hating your body. So it totally makes sense that people would feel this way about food in their body because the cultural message is aligned with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. The downer note, <laughs> but it is, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> it is true. that it makes sense that people would have <laughs> this, really bad relationship with food because society has a bad relationship with food, you know? Yeah, that's so true. They, they don't make it easy for us. That's for sure. Yeah. But I, I will say just in case someone's like wondering if they should go see a therapist. First of all, I think we could all use a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, like just so everyone knows, like I had a wonderful childhood. Like I had food on the table every night. I played all the sports I wanted. Uh, me, my mom, and my brother had a very like, like quality relationship. Like we all loved each other. Yet, I'm still finding childhood trauma. I'm still having to work through things. So if I have childhood trauma deep down, I was like a kid who grew up in the very like good house with like middle class, like good income, then like anybody, like any, like we all have some sort of, you know, something that we've been through. So I really recommend getting a therapist or something. Like, I've talked personally. Sorry, do you have something to say there? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was going to echo what you said. And even my own personal story, like I grew up, my dad is a psychiatrist. So like you would think everything, you know, like I had all the resources, I had great training from him on how to think and how to do the, you know, I lived a very pretty normal life. But yeah, I went to therapy. I am a therapist and I went to therapy. So <laughs> I'm a therapist in training. Let me clarify. I am, <laughs> I am in training. But, um, but yeah, it, it's so beneficial. And even if you aren't struggling right now, there's always so much power in going and almost preventatively working through some of these issues because mm. things will come up down the line. Um, yes. So if you're struggling right now, it's, it's, you know, more obvious that you should definitely seek help and reach out. But even if you're not struggling, why not just go like I, people go to the gym to exercise therapy is just like a workout for your mind and your spirit. So true. Yes. Oh, it's so true. I feel like people should see it like that and, and, and it should be destigmatized. And I think that we have seen in our culture, some destigmatizing of therapy. Um, I actually recently posted on my Instagram, like five ways to find a therapist. So oh, yeah. um, that kind of goes through different like ways to locate one. Cause I know once you decide to go, that can be another challenge, but. Totally. But like, yeah. Totally. And like, I will say, even from my experience, like I first reached out, like a big reason I started this podcast was to help myself learn more about myself. 
honestly, I, I've been doing so much reflecting lately and it, and it came down to a couple things. It was my whole goal right now is to understand myself, Brett, and then understand myself, capital S, so I can understand others. Mm-hmm. And for me, since I've started to go down the therapy route, I've talked to maybe like 10 therapists now, like psychology, mental health, in the last like two weeks. I've noticed so much progress in myself also because I'm doing the work, but I just want everyone to know that it actually like there might be some sort of stigma around getting a therapist. Like it is so ridiculously helpful to create self-awareness and understanding compassion for ourselves, which by the way, transfers to others. That's why everyone says you have to work on yourself before you can, you know, help others because it's so true that who we are creates our external reality and it's so worth it, everybody. Like, please, if you like, I really recommend like searching something out. Yeah. Quick question for you, Brett. Like, I feel like this is this is more of an observational thing. I hope that you. I know you're doing so much self work. How do you balance that with them, like self care or taking breaks or you know? Oh, interesting. A lot of input at you all the time. Totally, totally. I love that. Um. Well, for me, I'm actually just. I, I might be. I might have a bit of an advantage because the self work is like, it, it doesn't feel like work to me. Mm-hmm. Like for me, for me, like I'm very, I'm very much an experimenter and I'm very much, um, I'm very interested in the soul, the ego, childhood trauma. Like it very much interests me. So for me, it's like what I want to talk about on Friday night. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You know, so um, for me, I don't. Not at the party and we would talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And then we dunk your head. Everyone in wants to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> But um, no, I, I do need an escape like everybody else. And I would say for me, I really like I'm in BC, beautiful British Columbia. So like I've been going for bike rides recently, walks. I really like that. Um, and I, I work at a, as a barista at, at, at a cafe here in town. And so for me, that's kind of like something different, which yeah. is which I treat actually as my training ground for mindfulness, because for me with a uh, relationship with food, I see nonstop sweets all day right in front of me. And so at first I was like, oh my God, is this like healthy for me? But then it's turned into my training ground for mindfulness and self-care. So um, yeah, I would say like your question was like, what do I do for a break? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I would say like go for a hikes or biking or reading. Um, I would say something like that. But I, I used to watch a whole lot of Netflix, but I found that like, I felt like I was wasting my time. So I've actually found more more joy in reading and things like that now. Yeah, I love that. And because I feel like we're, we're similar in this way. And I'm sure if people are listening to this podcast, you're probably also like a personal development or personal growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people like us can often fall into a trap of like, all personal development, no just being. And there's like a constant focus on like, who I will be who I can be and pushing yourself. And I know I can fall into that trap. Is that something that you relate to? Yeah. Oh yeah. When you said that, I was like, okay, I want to clarify, like, I'm not just like writing and like doing work all the time. I actually consider just being part of my work. So yeah. I actually spend quite a bit of my time just being nowadays. Or like you said, you meditate for an hour every morning, yes, you yes. just sit, you know? And I think it's important to reflect that because a lot of people who see your stuff might see my stuff. It's like, oh, they're doing this all the time. But I think it's just really important to balance that personal development with some what I would say is like passive self-care, right? There's self-care that's like, I'm doing personal development, but then there's also self-care that's like, I'm going for a walk. 
I'm just yeah. meditating and being mindful because our brain really does need that time to let the nutrients of everything we're learning kind of soak in. I love yeah. yoga and I like to think oh, like that's awesome. that any pose of Shavasana where you just lay there. Yeah, yeah. It's like my favorite like pose. Always <laughs> wants to blow through that because I'm like, all right, on to the next. Like, check. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. But it's I've important. Before, like, yeah. yeah, to just like sometimes just sit. And, and know that just because you're not doing something doesn't mean you're not growing. You sometimes just need that time. I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. That's so important, especially with the, like, yeah, we feel like we got to, like, push it and push it and push it. And mm-hmm. for me, like, have, like, be perfect. Like, every second of the day, I got to be doing something. But it's actually really nice just to, like, I, I find we can meditate and be mindful during everything. So, yeah. like, even just, like, talking with my grandma or, like, and like, yeah, I think that's really nice too. And if and if and here's something that I uh, trick my trick my mind with that you might want to uh, try. Anyone listening is um, like, if you really feel like you have to be doing something every day, do something that brings you that relaxation, but also pushes your life forward. So for me, like talking with my grandma, so it helps me build a, a family connection. So, but then it's also like a nice break, and I can call her. So it's not like I'm just like sitting down watching Netflix, maybe where my mind might be like, you're not doing anything. But now it's more like I'm like helping like my family, like I'm making my grandma happy today. So it's like a nice thing to do. And it's a nice break. Yeah. So it's like you're taking action based on your values, which is super important, I think, to mental health and well-being. And it just happens to be like a more low key. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> grandma appreciates it. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. Well, the last question I, I'd like to ask you is um, what is like one thing somebody could implement today, tonight, like what's like a practice they could try? Because I ask this question at the end of every time and I want to preface this by saying like, there's no like one size fits all, there's no prescription, you know, even though we love prescriptions and we want the three-step guide to happiness, it doesn't work like that. But like, what's like something someone could do, like a question maybe that could open up their minds or, you know, what's something that someone could do? Wow, this is is a good question. My mind immediately went in so many directions, but I feel like, So I'm getting in tune with like, what do I really want people to be left with? And I think something that was really impactful to me when we were just talking about it is this idea of being really curious about your emotions and where they're coming from. And I think that's something that people could have an opportunity to practice because any day we're having emotions, right? That's just part of the human experience. So I would encourage people today to when you notice an emotion coming up, specifically maybe an emotion that's more difficult for you, whether that be sadness, whether that be anger, whether that be anxiety, just for maybe two minutes, doesn't have to be long, but don't try to push that emotion away and instead get curious about it and ask it, hey, you know, where where is this coming from? What are you trying to tell me? Um, And then maybe something more metaphorical, like try to envision the emotion as if it were a color and a shape. So maybe I would say, okay, I'm feeling anxious. This is coming up because I'm recording a podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's trying to tell me that like, this is going to be something exciting and special for me, but I need to be kind of on my game. So that makes sense. So we're going to validate the emotion. And then for me, that anxiety is kind of like a red bouncy ball. And just do that exercise. And then after that, you can do whatever you would normally do. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to do a whole big thing, but just take two minutes and get curious about an emotion and see where it leads you. I love that so much. 
I love that so much, Dominique. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. And I really, really appreciate your your warm and open and very energetic emotion uh, over there in Pittsburgh at nine in the morning. I, I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was very easy to talk to you. And I really hope that your energy and your positive vibe got through to the listeners because it was so beautiful for me. Oh, thank you so much, Brett. Well, you asked great questions and I feel like we were vibing. So it was Totally. Um, yeah. And if folks do want to connect with me beyond this, you can find me on Instagram. My hash, my handle is at your mind in bloom, bloom like a flower. So your mind in bloom. My name's Dominique, and I'd be happy to connect with people there if they have thoughts or questions about the podcast. This was the yeah. first podcast I've ever done. So no way. Oh, you were great. <laughs> well, thanks for asking me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And I'll, I'll put your Instagram down in the in the bio of this podcast just so they can find it perfect well thanks yeah. so much Brad. yeah of course that was awesome thank you so much to dominique for coming on and, and taking her time to, to speak with me and thank you for listening and and being attentive hopefully while, while you're listening and maybe even getting something from this that would that would be amazing if you, if you could uh, i'm sure you did from this because dominique gave us a few little tips and tricks there about how to deal with anxiety including dunking her head into cold water which uh, is something that i should probably try Anyways, thank you guys so much for being on this journey with me. I feel like I'm right there with you guys. And I I look forward to continue to build this community. So thank you guys again. I appreciate your time. I'll see you next time.